Good morning, friends. We are in John chapter 15. Do you have a Bible? I, I kind of miss leather Bibles, y'all. I miss holding the Bible. But, hey, an app works, and if that's what you have, hallelujah. So I want to share with you an embarrassing photograph from my senior high yearbook. So, no, no cat calls, please. Can we, can we put that up there? Isn't that a lovely... And, and I saw that as a photographer, I'm thinking, like, what an awful photographer, whoever this person was. Like, that's the best shot you can give a 17-year-old? I mean, holy cow. And I began to think, like, they gave us, like, four or five options, and this was the best one. But the reason I'm showing you is not so you can go, hey, look how thin you were when you were 17, or, you know, mock my tie, or whatever, I went to prep school. But, I, yeah, it does, actually. I want to share with you the quote. All seniors were to put a quote under their photograph, something very enlightening, you know, and we all went to this like really expensive prep school, so we were enlightened kids. And so I shared in my senior uh, yearbook, under my picture, the message I wanted to pass along to future students. And it says, the necessities of life, necessities of life, this coming from a 17-year-old, necessities of life, drum roll, please. Number one, a beagle. I had a beagle, I grew up with one, he, he got hit by a car, so we got another one, had him for 13 years, slept in my bed every night, love that dog as much as anyone that's roamed the planet, um, beagles, porters. Um, so necessity was a beagle, number one was a pipe, like Bill Clinton, I did not inhale, but I did have a pipe and burned my tongue from time to time. Uh, the third thing I saw as the essential age 17 was a woman. A woman. I don't know what I know about women at 17. Nothing. Clearly nothing. A beagle, a pipe, a woman. A deer hunting. Deer hunting. I, I loved it then. I loved it now. Loved to hunt. Loved to eat. Um, the next one was bluegrass music. Big surprise there. Uh, other ones were friends, good food, family, the beach, and snow. It's kind of like when you, you ask people, like, you know, I guess on some of these websites that you want to date somebody, the good ones. Uh, they say, what are you into? Like, I'm into long walks in the park and, you know, painting and whatever. So my thing is, I'm into a beagle, a pipe, a woman, deer hunting, bluegrass, friends, good food, family, the beach, and snow. The essentials of life. What's missing from the list, y'all? This list is who I was. What's missing? The Lord. I mean, I was an Episcopalian. I went to church, I mean, almost every week. I was an acolyte. Did all that stuff? God is not mentioned at all because he was in a different compartment. These were the things that I really thought were essential to life. And so these were the things I loved. And to quote a recent author, you are what you love. And so in a lot of ways, nothing much has changed. But in some ways, a lot's changed because I've added to those loves, Jesus, uh, yeah, and the family of God. And so one of the challenges as we go to John 15, Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. Loved, loved. But what's the problem with the word love? Well, the problem is I love chocolate chip cookies. I, uh, I love mashed potatoes with gravy. Oh, Sister Sheepers rolls. I love that. I, re I really do love them. I can eat that entire plate. If you've never had them, love yourself. <laughs> get a, a ten of Sister Schubert's rolls. So I love mashed potatoes, I love Sister Schubert's rolls, I love puppies. Who doesn't love puppies? They have little bellies, little teeth, little puppy breath. 
They're great. I love them all. I love sunsets. I love my wife. And I love the Lord. But you see, I'm using the same word, but clearly it doesn't have the same power. Right? To say that I love uh, mashed potatoes, I use that same word to describe how I feel about my wife or even more about the Lord. Like the word breaks down. And so, please understand when he's commanding us, Jesus is commanding us, as the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. He's not talking about the kind of love that makes you like mashed potatoes. I'm not talking about the kind of love that makes you like Sister Schumann's roles. It's much deeper. It is a holy love where your heart and his are drawn together. It's a, it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. So we, we go to the text, and it says, As the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. The thing I love about the Lord is he doesn't say, Do X, Y, Z, then I'll love you. The Bible says he first loved us, which is a ridiculous thing to do. Why? I mean, everything should be quid pro quo, right? You know, I do this for you, you do this for me. But the Lord says, no, I first loved you. And the only way you'll ever be able to love yourself or your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, not, not to mention your enemies, the only way to ever love others is to receive the love that I have for you. There's only one factory in the world of agape love, that kind of unconditional love. There's only one factory, and it's actually a person. So we joke a lot of times, and I said, imagine if you had two twins, and I can imagine this because I am a twin, but imagine if you had two twin, let's just say ladies, and they're both 25 years old, they're both um, winsome, they're kind, they're, they're generous, there's so many things, they have a lot, they look the same, and yet one of those girls, let's say the one right here, has received the gift of faith. As the Bible says, she's put on the Lord Jesus. She's stepped from darkness to light. She's no longer an enemy of God, but she's a child of God. And actually, God's spirit lives in her. But on the outside, they look exactly the same. These two twins, they look exactly the same. But this one has God himself living inside of her. This girl has access to the Holy Spirit, access to a godly love that this other girl does not have. However winsome, however clever, however lovely she is, God's given her many graces, but she doesn't have access to love in the way that her believing sister loves. And so Jesus says, as the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. It all starts with him. Love always starts. The Bible actually declares that God is love. You want to know what love is? You want to know what love is? It's a song. You want to know what love is? Tell us. Put that back. Right. You want to do better? Come on up. <laughs> The point is, y'all, we, we can only love because he first loved us. You, you can't give away what you don't have. And so then Jesus in verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be, be full. Well, here's the problem. As soon as I read that, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I begin to go like, well, wait a minute, hold on, time out. Is God quit pro quo too? Like through the Old Testament, many places he would tell Israel, you keep my commandments, I'll be your God. You walk in my ways, I'll be your God. And so then I was beginning to think, well, Lord, this seems very conditional. This doesn't sound like agape love. But then I realized, who is he speaking to? 
in Israel. Who was he speaking to? Is he speaking to pagans? No, he's speaking to his kids, the Israelites, his chosen, his beloved. Who's he speaking to here when he says, basically, if you walk in my ways, if you keep my commandments, you will remain or abide in my life. Who's he talking to? He's talking to people he's already loved. He's talking to people he's already shown them, demonstrated to them uh, his love for them. He's already extended uh, the opportunity to become children of God. And so, yes, the commands are important. We don't want to diminish the commands of God. We don't want to be like uh, the, the, the thing now that's so popular in modern churches is to throw away all God's commandments. One pastor even said, we don't even need the Old Testament. In fact, it kind of distorts a lot of the things we're trying to learn about God. And I don't want to say, bro, you're an idiot. Excuse me. But that's idiotic. I'll say that. That's idiotic. What Bible do you think Jesus had? What scriptures did he read? What scriptures did he preach from? Yeah, the first, the first 39 books. And so, what we see here is that the Lord loves us first. He's demonstrated his love, not just with words, because talk is cheap but also with his actions. And the Bible says, even to death, death on the cross. Okay, so when the Lord says, I want you to abide in my love, I have a disconnect. What's a disconnect for you? And he says, abide in my love. Survey, please. How many times have these people used the word abide this week? Nobody. We don't use that word. And so when he tells you to abide in his love, you're like, well, I kind of sort of know what that means. Kind of like Tim last week said, sin up when non, it's a phrase I heard in college, and I sort of kind of know I should know that phrase, but I don't really. I had to Google it. Or if I said quid pro quo, you hear politicians say that a lot, and you kind of have this vague idea of what quid pro quo is, but you're not really sure, right? And I would say the same is true with abide. When he says, abide in my love, like, I don't know what to do with that word because I don't know the word. I don't use it. And so I looked it up. And the word in Greek is minnow. And I'm such a redneck, the first thing I think of is fishing. And I just remember that word because it's minnow. It's awesome. But then I looked up, like, what does the word actually mean? What does the word abide in Greek is minnow? But what does it actually mean? Abide. Right? Dwell in, live in. Basically what Jesus is saying is this. I'm inviting you guys to come stand under my unconditional love. I want you to experience it. I want you to stand under it. I want you to stand on it. I want that to be the sphere in which you live and move. The love of God. The love of God. He said, I want you to remain there. I want you to stop and make my love, my love for you. I want that to be your whole universe. I remember yeah, a commentator once said, it's just like a dog when you hold a piece of steak. You ever done this to taunt your dog? You're sick, Pastor. You ever done this to your dog? Sure you have. You've never done this to your cat, because cats are just like, whatever. A dog, you take a piece of steak. It doesn't have to be a good steak. It can be cheap steak. You know, it smells like steak. And the dog can be doing what he's doing, and all of a sudden you bring that steak out, and he's like, He stops, which is the meaning of a bird of body. First thing is you stop. The next thing you know, the dog, like, if you go... Right, his eyes go right. Your left, his eyes go left. Up and up and you teach your dog like this. You have done that with your dog? Try today. I love you for it. But but the way the dog is so 
fixated. He stops everything he does. He's fixated, and he's like, my whole life is here. You see, now look, my whole, I'm all in. My whole life is here. Jesus is basically saying, I want, when he says, I want you to abide in my love, what he says is, I want you to be at least like a dog. Like, love me as much as that dog was the steak, at least. Like, abide. Stop what you're doing. Stand here. Stand on it. Stand in it. That's the place for my kids. Abide in my love. I think it's very interesting because some of you, some of you, have long attention spans. Like five of you. Because, like, I watch. I watch. And y'all do what I do. On your phones, like, every 2.7 seconds, you're checking your email, you're checking your text, checking your Snapchats, checking your Instagram, doing something, 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 looking up for a word, preacher saying. But not just in church, like, all the time. Go to a coffee shop. And just watch how often people are going to the phone. Or even on TV, they change scenes. What is it, every 1.6 seconds, every 1.7? Because they know you'll get bored. And so when the Lord's now saying, I want you to abide, to stop, to remain, and not change every two seconds, I want you to make your home in me. That's what the Lord's saying. I want you to make your home in me. I don't want you flitting around, going manically from this thing to that thing. Live your life in me. Abide in me. Receive my love. Okay, then he goes on. <clears throat> Verse 12. I love this. And Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And obviously the most important part of that phrase, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The most important part is what? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the command. But the thing that we often skip over is the fact that Jesus says, this is my commandment. He actually has commands. And you might go, well, that's not very loving. I don't like rules. That's why I became a Christian. If I wanted rules, I'd go to another religion. What I want to tell you is God's commands are not burdensome. I really believe that. that here, the problem is we can't keep them. That's the problem. But to say that these gifts and graces that the Lord has given us burdensome. It's not true. The Bible says of itself, his commands are not burdensome. When the Lord tells you to have no other gods before him, to have no idols, he's not trying to put a burden on you. He's trying to lift a burden off you. When the Lord tells you not to steal or not to um, covet or not to have an affair, he's not trying to bust you or, or penalize you. He's trying to bless you. That is the safe place where his kids can live in and walk in. And so he says, this is my commandment. And apparently commandments have fallen out of favor in the church we're not supposed to preach on that. We're supposed to preach about how to have a happy life. Six ways to have a happy marriage. Everything's happy. You want to be happy. I would just want to know if we can walk in God's ways. To the glory of his name, can we walk in his ways? That's the place where we experience joy. Jesus said that you might have joy and your joy may be full. Much like parents, I'm honest. If you tell your kids, hey, do this and don't do that. You don't want to tell your kids 10,000 right? Because they'd be like, I can't remember all this. But if you love your kids, you will tell your kids, hey, don't do that. Don't stick your hand in the socket. Or if you love your kids, you might say, you want to chew your food 32 times before you swallow, you know? Or whatever. Whatever you teach your kids, you have things that will bless them. Things that they should not do that will bless them. Things they should take up or do that will bless them. And it's the same with the Lord's commands. And the command is that we love one another as he has loved us. Now, the, the issue here may be, you go like, 
The guy's a jerk. I don't want to love him. You ever felt that way? So you been somewhere in your life and you go like, okay, Lord, I can love this person and that person, but this person is a jerk. I, I don't have any, I can't love them. And Lord goes, yeah, I know. I know. But you know what? I just want you to consider how much I've loved you repetitively over and over and over again. I've never given up on you. I've never turned you away. I've never refused your confession. I've never been absent. When you wanted to talk to me, I was always there. So the Lord here is clear. He has a commandment. He cares that we love one another. Are you loving people? The only way you can love them the way the Lord wants you to is to have access to his love. If you don't, you're going to be like that twin over here. She's nice. She's winsome. She has gifts and graces. She just doesn't have access to the agape love of the Lord, so she can't give out what she does not yet have. Let's end. Go to verse... It's 16. Again, verse 16 says, You did not choose me. So this is the Lord speaking. It says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you. Chose and appointed. Chose and appointed. Jesus, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I also appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The first thing we need to grab hold of is that God in his mercy grabbed you. The Lord grabbed you. If you're a child of God, if you're not, he's trying to grab you. He's knocking. Behold, I say the door, knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in and I'll have fellowship with them. There's something beautiful. To me, it's the heart of the gospel. Do we choose God? Do we sit on our planet Earth and go, huh, there's a God. I think... I'll decide to follow him. No, no. The Bible says that we're, we're desperately bent in by our sin. Like, we don't even have the ability to make right decisions to choose God unless he gives us the grace to do it. I think it was Tim Keller said, if God was being completely fair, he'd just give us, um, say, here, do whatever you want. And we would all choose to reject the Lord all the time. If we gave complete freedom, we would reject the Lord Put yourself on the on the throne or put someone else on that throne a hundred times out of a hundred. And so what the Lord is trying to, to, to iterate for us is the heart of the gospel. That for some reason that's unfathomable, he chose you. He chose you. And the question is, have you received the gift? The Bible says as to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So my question is, it's not, it's not God's problem. He's done all the work. He's done all the heavy lifting. But the question is, has, have we received the gift? And part of remembering it is like God's the one who chooses people. God is the one before the foundation of the earth. Maybe the Presbyterians are right, y'all. You know? Maybe, uh, who's the guy that's really, really reformed? Piper. It's Piper, yes. Piper, Calvin, John Calvin. And so... The Presbyterians love the doctrines of predestination and election. Predestination is just a fancy theological word for me to God before the foundation of the earth knew who his kids are. And those whom he foreknew, he did what? He chose. And then he, he uh, called them, he sanctified them, he justified them. God does all the work. He says, you did not choose me, I chose you. Ephesians says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so a lot of you go, well, quick, I don't like predestination or election. I'm like, well, tough. What's the alternative? That you're the one that predestines things? You're the one who decides on things? So basically, God is basically your concierge. God is the one who just waits on you. And the scripture is clear that, that the Lord chooses before the foundation of the earth those who will be holy and blameless. In love, he predestines those. And so the question is not, is God acting? The question is, have we received it? Have we received it? You received the love of God in Christ. The very fact that he chose you should do something to you. It should make you go, well, I'm not on this planet just to think of oxygen. I'm here to actually serve the king, the king of kings, lord of lords. So maybe when you wake up tomorrow morning, instead of saying, oh, good lord, it's morning. Ah, uh, gee whiz, can I hit the sneeze button? Maybe we have a paradigm shift and say, you know what? I'm going to live for Christ today. Lord, in and of myself, I bring nothing but filthy rags, but you are a good God. For reasons I can't even understand, you have chosen me, and you've appointed me to be an ambassador for you, to be a minister of reconciliation. And so it's not just about saving, but there's also a mission. It's not just about the king, it's about his kingdom. He says, I've chosen you, and I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. So for reasons unknown to us, the Lord wants to use you. The Lord wants to use you. The question is, are you letting him? The Lord wants to use you in his kingdom. Now, he does not need you. The kingdom will be just fine with you or without you. He's extending this privilege to come and be his servant. Every day to wake up and say, God, it's about you. You're the king, and you have a kingdom. And God, as you give me grace, you give me strength, I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to let people know the amazing things you've done in my life, because you're a great God. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Friends, that kid that's 17 years old was about as lost as Dick's hat man. He didn't know his left hand from his right hand. All he knew about beach and fun and whatever, whatever, he didn't know that there is one who is closer than a brother, one that loves, one that had chosen him before the foundation of the world and appointed him to go and bear fruit. That's the life in Jesus' name.